Hi, this is Dr. Lat Mansour, your host at HVMM Podcast. In this episode, I interviewed Lexi and Melissa, who are co-founders of Alignment Athletics, a health coaching company that helps women achieve their physique goals without sacrificing their internal health. Lexi and Melissa also shared their stories and how they overcame their struggles throughout their fitness and health journey, including with type 1 diabetes, body dysmorphia, eating disorders, hormonal imbalance, celiac disease, so on and so forth. They also shared the different ways that alignment athletics help women optimize their training, including fueling strategies, training protocols, recovery strategies. And we also covered the importance of gut health and how good gut health can help optimize your training results. So stay tuned and enjoy this episode. Hello, Melissa and Lexi. Welcome to HBMN Podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having us. We're excited to be here. Yeah. yeah so pumped. before... Sorry, go ahead, Melissa. I was going to say we're pumped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's get more pumped since, you know, we've got all our ketone IQs here. Um, let's get a shot. Okay. Together. Bottoms up. Here, here we, we go. go. Round two. Okay. Now, I know I was on Alignment Athletics... Um, um, podcast uh, and we did the exact same thing we had a shot and that was the first time you guys ever tried ketone iq yes that was and we've been addicted ever since <laughs> every, yeah, that, we're like every podcast episode we need to take it it's great I, I mean a lot of people you know they 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 get hooked because of the subjective feel um and we can talk about uh, you know the science later but uh most importantly today i want our listeners to really learn about what alignment athletic is, who Lexi and who Melissa are, and and really tell your story um, to our audience. Especially, um, I know that you guys focus on training the women, you know, population, and uh, I think it's it's a an important point from a scientific point of view as well as from a societal point of view to really highlight um, the difference and importance between a male and female physiology and how we should look at it differently when it comes to training, fueling, recovery and all that. But before we go further, um, I have a question for both of you. What is your current latest fitness obsession or fitness trend obsession or biohack obsession at the moment? Melissa, do you want to hop on this one first or should I go? <laughs> You can go. <laughs> okay, I was going to say, Lat, have you ever podcasted with like two people? Because it can be a little bit difficult. We're going to ask that before every question. But um, for me, I would say over the past year or so is the first time I really, really started to shift my focus just from following protocols. I was like a competitor for a long time, strictly tracking my food, following a training program. Um, and I've really just taken this year to practice listening to my body and getting in touch with it and just doing everything more intuitively, training a little bit more functionally, um, you know, just around how I'm feeling, even speaking of women in like different phases of my cycle or whatever. And it's been the first time in almost like a decade that I've done that. So that has been my most recent Thing. It's really just listening to what my body is telling me. Love nice. it. Love that for you, Lex. journey. <laughs> 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 and Melissa, what about you? Yeah, so I think for me, I would say just overall stepping more into like the wellness side of things. Like you mentioned biohacking. The first thing that came to mind was adaptogens. Um, obviously very recently, ketone IQ, love this. And again, just overall wellness, like when it comes to the quality of the foods I'm eating and even the water that I'm drinking, um, just things like that, being very conscious of what I'm putting in my body. Great. Um, yeah, that, that's great to hear. Um, I mean, myself, um, I always try to be more conscious as well. And I think that's an interesting point when you pointed out water, because growing up in Southeast Asia, in Malaysia, we, um, you know, my, my, our family or my parents always taught us that in the morning, we'll always have to, you know, filter the water, boil it or whatever. We, can, we can't really drink tap water in Malaysia. Um, I mean, you can, but, you know, there's a risk of, of getting, um, you know, food poisoning. So coming to, like, developed countries, like, when I first studied in the UK, uh, was when I first was, like, oh, you can drink from a tap. 
And same thing here, right? Um, there are a lot of cities um, that has better quality tap water than the others. And I didn't know this and, and until my friend pointed out a few weeks ago, it's like, oh, look at this index or, or there's a website that actually tells you uh, certain cities have got contaminants that is how many times beyond um, allowable sort of uh, uh, threshold. So that was something that I was like, oh my God, um, it's, it's something that, you know, I should be looking out for or, you know. What do you guys know about that, actually? I was going to say, I didn't know anything until Melissa's journey with this. So I think she should talk about it. But you don't realize how much drinking bad quality water or like water with heavy metals in it actually impacts your body. Because I'm that person, even when I lived in California, which I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to drink the tap water. Um, I very much did. You know, and I just didn't really think anything of it. Mm -hmm. But, Melissa, this is definitely your thing. Yeah, so I don't know if you've heard of this, but I just invested in a Kangen water machine. Mm -hmm. And that's like a whole other conversation for another day. But (laughs) basically, um, there's a ton of health benefits. It really, it ionizes the water. It has like way more antioxidant antioxidants in it than you could even consume from like fruits throughout the day. There's tons and tons and tons of like NCBI PubMed articles about this water um, and how it can really benefit a lot of people just in terms of like preventing disease, all of that good stuff. So I have been drinking it for a few weeks and this year after I had my whole health journey, which we'll get into just me figuring out that the tap water was really not that great for me and it caused a lot of issues. Um, I just decided, you know, I'm going to save up for this machine because it is an investment, but it lasts a long time and to me it is very much worth it. I need I need all the links, all all the, the studies. Um, I will send them se- to you. Yes, please. <laughs> um, so as we're talking about, you know, journey and your background, so let's let's go straight into it. Um, uh, Melissa, since you're already talking, let's go with you first. What's your background and how you you become who you are today and then we'll jump to Lexi after. Yes and I will do my best to make it the most abridged version but basically growing up I was an alcohol I was an I was an athlete. I was an athlete and I played volleyball for 10 years played a bunch of sports when I was little basically got to college realized okay I don't have sports anymore so I want to learn how to work out just kind of dinked around, stumbled onto bodybuilding. Then when I was in law school, I decided to compete. That was in 2017. And then I competed again for the last time in 2019. And during that time, I was very strict with myself, you know, following macros, training, all that. But it was to a fault where I caused a lot of issues with my internal health. So (laughs) gut health was awful. Um, I had hypothalamic amenorrhea. Hormones were definitely imbalanced. Skin was awful. Just who even knows? I was really going through it at that point. And afterwards, so like 2020, I spent that whole year really restoring my health. And it was a lot. I ended up gaining a lot of weight, a lot of inflammation, necessary body fat. But also I was just looking back at pictures and videos. I was very inflamed and very uncomfortable. And it was a mental battle too. But Once I got through all of that, really optimized everything, restored my period, balanced my hormones, and just kept working on it slowly over time, the inflammation subsided. My body actually started to, quote unquote, look better. It's what we like to call body recomp. And I'm definitely the healthiest I've ever been. But like I mentioned a few minutes ago, earlier this year, I was struggling, like basically ever since I restored my period, with extremely painful uh, menstrual cramps. And they they were terrible. Like I just got to a point where I was like seizing on the ground, thought I was going to pass out. And I realized, okay, this probably isn't normal. So I decided to work with a naturopath and she figured out that I actually had parasites. I was storing heavy metals as well as radiation. And that was really the root cause of what was happening through everything. Because Ladies, having your period every month is a way to detox. So between me not having it for three years and also my body trying to get rid of these things that were inside me, it was just trying very hard to get rid of it because of all that and also because my drainage pathways weren't open. So had a lot of stuff going on in there, been working on a detox since May of this year. 
and we're definitely feeling a lot better. Like I said, I'm the healthiest I've been. So that's a big reason I stepped more into the wellness stuff this year because she figured out that something that really contributed to all of that was pesticides on produce. And if you are washing your produce under dirty tap water, you are not only not removing the pesticides, but you are also adding things like chloride into, or chlorine into your produce. So that's the abridged version. That's where I'm at now. <laughs> so I've got a quick question. So when you said you looked at your old pictures and you looked inflamed, what are you, what are you talking about when you say you look inflamed? Like what, you know, what, what characteristic is that? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing I notice is my face was like very, very puffy. But even throughout my whole physique, I just looked, I just looked puffy, I would say is the best way to explain it. No. Okay. It's one of those things where as a coach, um, and we coach a lot of women, you see so much with women at various hormone imbalances, and there's a very specific look and difference in look between someone who has excess body fat and who is inflamed. It's a very like puffy look and it's something that you just really pick up on after looking at thousands and thousands of progress photos <laughs> over <laughs> over the years. Cool. Um all right. Well, Lexi, why don't you go ahead and tell us your story? Okay. So, like Melissa, I'm going to try to make this as short as possible and um, I'm going to like zoom out and do a little bit more big picture um, just because I feel like there's a lot of moving parts. But I grew up same as Melissa playing a lot of sports. That was not alcoholic, athletic, not an alcoholic, <laughs> not an alcoholic. <laughs> um, I specifically did like running and um, was a very competitive ice hockey player, which most people don't get from me. But um, at age 11, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and it does run in my family. So my grandma had it, and my little sister had it. Um, she had it since she was one years old. So I got it older. And then the following year, I was diagnosed with celiac disease. So both of those are autoimmune, very much linked. Um, and I definitely struggled with not necessarily taking care of those, but just a shift in my life. When you're like 11 years old, it's embarrassing to be giving yourself shots or saying I can't eat this or that. Um, and so I think that because of that, I kind of like built up a lot of insecurity that I never addressed. I had a lot of resentment. Um, I went to uh, prep school to play hockey and my sophomore year I developed an eating disorder which there's a huge link between also type 1 diabetes specifically and um, eating disorders so for the next five six years I really struggled with that I had to leave boarding school um, I was like in and out of hospitals treatment centers etc which obviously with diabetes too that's like very very dangerous um, and I finally I would say like really recovered in college and that's where I kind of found all of this like fitness stuff I had always weight trained to like cross train for my sports um but over exercising was a big part of my eating disorder and so I was like I can't do exercise that's just based on burning calories like I'm gonna lift weights because I have good memories doing this um and it like is focusing on being strong and I really just like fell in love with it I was sharing my like recovery journey I had a private Instagram account um, which now is my current Instagram account where I like documented my recovery and what I ate. Um, literally, it was just all pictures of food. And that kind of just turned into me sharing my life with fitness and all that kind of stuff. And that's actually how I got into coaching. I worked a corporate job um, for a chunk of time and people were just reaching out to me for help. Like, hey, like you look really good. You've really healed your relationship with food. Like I can see how much healthier and happier you are. Um, and so I was just doing that on the side and then I was like, you know, I should probably charge money for this. And then that went to like, hey, I could do this full time. Um, and that down the road ended up leading to um, Melissa and I, we both had our own businesses and we merged to create what now is Alignment Athletics. But during that time, I was like very much in the space of I need a competitive outlet for everything I do. So I was competing um, in bodybuilding. And similar to Melissa, so I'm not going to like really dive into that, but that had its own 
plethora of hormone issues and whatnot that came with that. I definitely had like body image issues. Um, it kind of re-triggered some of the uh, poor, like it triggered the poor relationship with food that I had previously had um, in a lot of ways as well, just differently. Um, and so my last time competing was a couple years ago and now I'm just in a place where very much like Melissa, I'm like, what is the point of looking fit and healthy if you are not healthy? Like we have one body and we have one life and why would we not make it our goal to live the longest, healthiest and happiest life? And you can look great doing that, right? But um, sacrificing your health just to look a certain way isn't worth it. And so that's really what Melissa and I have focused on within alignment since we started it. It's just really helping women, obviously, yes, reach a, their goal body or body that they feel really, really good in without sacrificing their health because that's a mistake I think we both, I won't say wish we didn't make because it led us to where we are, but um, that we don't want other people to make. Like learn from our mistakes type of deal. That's Thank you so much for sharing the stories, you guys. And I noticed both of you have sort of, you know, like you said, similar sort of journey where you have, you know, grown up very active, athletic, and you've gone through that, that pl plateau and then you sort of hit a climax and then you realize there's the misalignment between looking healthy and actually being healthy. Um, and what I want to focus on, you know, while we, we are definitely celebrating your successes and we are celebrating your, you know, you're overcoming the journey. I want to focus a little bit right now on um, the turning point, right? Because for a lot of people, the turning point is where it makes all the difference. And that's where the hardest challenge comes in. It's when you want to take the first step towards improvement. It's when you want to take the first step towards change. And that's where most people have the biggest challenge in. So I want you guys to share your story on where is your turning point, what triggered it, and how do you keep moving in that direction? Because we as humans, we are habitual creatures, and we are more often than not be more inclined to stay in the current state and the comfort zone that we are in instead of moving forward, even though that forward direction is the right direction to go. So uh, I'll, I'm going to start with uh, Lexi first then. Okay, so I, don't, I feel like we all have multiple turning points. So it's kind of hard for me to identify just one, but I would say as far as stepping into this phase of like, I'm really just going to focus on being the healthiest version of myself. There were two. One was after um, my first season competing. And I just remember driving home on the highway. And I don't know why I thought of this. It's very morbid. But I was like, if I died tomorrow, like, would I be proud of the life that I'm living? And, like, what would people have to say about me? And the answer was absolutely not. Because my whole existence, like, from my business to just the way I live my life, revolved around what I the food that I ate and how much I exercised and like I didn't have close relationships like I didn't have hobbies outside of that I wasn't giving back to the world in any way um and that just made me really sad and I was like there's so much more to life than this um and I think that just kind of led me down the path of just like I'm kind of holding on to um, like the control of my eating disorder. And it's just like taken a different uh, format, I guess. Um, and then the other one I think is when I moved to Austin like a bit, like a year and a half ago. Um, and I think for me, obviously don't run away from your problems. That's not what I'm saying. And I don't think I had anything I was running away from, but I think being in a new city by myself building a life, it was very much like a clean slate and like, who do I want to be? And I think so much had happened in San Diego, like even me recovering from my eating disorder. Like I had my eating disorder there. I recovered from my eating disorder there. I was a competitor. I think I felt this pressure to like look a certain way and like be super lean and just be a certain person. And it's not to say I'm like not that person or I was being fake, but it very much was like a totally new, um, 
space that I could be like, who do I want to be? And like, what, who's going to like, who will I be proud to be as well? Um, and obviously it's a gradual thing. It's not like everything changed overnight, but I think that's when I was like, I really just need to start prioritizing my health. I really don't want to compete anymore. I really don't care about being 2% body fat, like th those kind of things. Um, so I think that was another big one for me. And I think, I think it really does help when you are in a complete new environment. Sometimes it's so difficult when you have the same group of friends, same group of people around you, same lifestyle, same routine. It's really difficult to make the change. But when you put yourself in a completely new environment, it's almost like a reset button that you mm -hmm. give yourself. And I've done this many times when I you know, go to different cities, different countries to study. Uh, for my undergrad, I went to UK. My master's went to New York. And then my PhD went back to UK. And every time I'm in a new city, it almost gives me a, a new opportunity to rebrand myself, to reinvent myself, to make a better version of myself that, you know, taking in all the learnings that I've gotten from my previous lives and put it to use now. So, so thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, Melissa, how about you? Okay, so I have two as well, but they were pretty close in proximity when it comes to like the timeline. And Lexi will remember both of these because she was there for both of them. Uh, Lexi and I used to live together in San Diego in the house that I'm currently in. So this was, I wanna say like springtime 2020. So gyms were closing. I had just competed November of 2019. So I was still very much trying to like, quote unquote, recover from that and just like heal my relationship with food and my body, hormones, all of that. And we had a friend over and I just shared with them, hey, I feel like I'm just going through the motions with tracking my food. Like I just don't feel aligned with it anymore, but I'm such a like rule following like structured person that I, I just kept doing it. And it's really difficult for me to give myself permission slips to stop doing something. And so she and our other friend just told me, they're like, why don't you just stop tracking? Like maybe just ease out of it. And I just took that and ran with it. The next day I, I was like, no, I'm done tracking, like cold turkey. And that just provided my first opportunity to see the freedom that was available to me. And I as much as I thought I needed the permission slip from someone else, I knew that I could give it to myself. So that was the first one. And then probably like within a couple months of that, like a couple months later, so early summer, there were many nights where I sat on the couch and I just cried to Lexi about my body, about my health, like couldn't get my period back. I was trying to do it all on my own. And she she was never, there was never even like tough love, but she just listened to me and she made it very clear. Like, listen, you can do this. It's going to be hard right now. It's going to be worth it though. And why don't you reach out for some help? So I reached out to someone and literally within like two months of working together, um, we had my cycle back. So a lot changed in those few months. And that is what I remember as my turning points. How excited were you when your cycle finally came back? Oh like, what was gosh. your, what was your, what went through your mind when you first realized that <laughs> I was like that this can't be real that I, I, I thought it was like I just thought it was not real I was like this can't be a thing because I haven't had it in so long and I was like right. we'll see in like another month and then it got better from there and I was like oh my god like we did it I, w I just wanted to like scream it from the rooftops <laughs> that's yeah. such a, such a great thing to hear you know when when we finally when we work so hard to improve our health and and when it finally shows you know and, and sometimes it's not linear right you work on it you work on it you work on it and then one day just decided to give you the results that you've been working for and that feeling of finally validating all your efforts and your self-love and your self-empowerment it's so so gratifying um and i think everyone should have that aim you know at every stage in their lives and, and every new year, you know, make a new goal, achieve a new sort of fitness or health um, goal. And I think that's, that's what life is all about. You know, if you're not striving, like, like Lexi said, if you're not striving for, you know, a healthy aging process, a, you know, internal health sort of goal, then why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we just going to the gym? Why are we just running? You know, um, yes, we enjoy it, but ultimately, like, what are we, what are we doing to this ultimate possession that we have, which is our body? Um, yeah. So, um, 
All right. Well, thank you for very much for the stories. Um, now I want to take a sneak peek into your your work, which is you know alignment athletics training people, and I want to pick your brains on how. Do you, so I've got three pillars uh, of training that I've broken down into. One is before you work out, so fueling, what sort of fuel uh, for, for women versus male and, and are they different fueling methods or strategies for different demographics. Second is the training itself, we can talk about that. And then third is recovery. So let's talk about fueling. Um, you know, do you notice any difference uh, in fueling when it comes to male and, and females? And even within females themselves, are they different demographics that you would advise your clients differently? Yeah, so what I will say is I think with fueling, specifically like pre-workout nutrition, if we're talking about nutrition slash fueling solely before training, um, it's going to be about the same for females and males. I think mm -hmm. overall, like day-to-day -day nutrition, it is going to be different for females. But typically, when you think about it, we are training, and specifically most of our clients, women, are weight training. So we're going to be utilizing a lot of um, glycogen for fuel. So we focus a lot on carbohydrates before training, and then protein is obviously the building block of muscle. So getting in a moderate amount of protein and just depending on the timing of the meal before you work out is really going to dictate, you know, what kind of carbohydrates you have, the amount of dietary fat to intake as well. So there are a lot of specifics, but I wouldn't necessarily say as much within a specific demographic as well, or as much as, um, you know, it's kind of circumstantial, I should say. Melissa, would you have anything to add about that? No, I agree. I think the biggest thing is a lot of women still believe that carbs are bad. And lat, as you very well know, carbs are our body's preferred source of fuel. So not only do you need them to just exist throughout the day, but especially if you're going to go into a resistance training session, your body, like Lexi said, is going to use glycogen first. And glycogen is the stored form of carbohydrate. So you want to make sure that you are feel fueled. And then again, with the protein, you need a certain amount to stimulate muscle protein synthesis, which is what we're looking to do with the training session. And then um, with the dietary fat, you want that too. It's very simple. Just have a balanced meal. And if, I mean, there's like certain parameters based on, again, the timing of the meal um, and just how your digestion is doing. But that would be the overall just like logistics. Is there a specific macronutrient ratio that you would recommend? I really think that it, depends on the person um, and what they feel best with. I know for myself, it is very, very helpful to literally have primarily simple carbs along with um, a moderate amount of protein. And I will include more fat than most people. And this that's just because I'm type 1 diabetic, right? The fat is going to help slow down the digestion of the carbs so my blood sugar doesn't spike through the roof, right? Um, but... It really, really does depend. And one thing I wanted to add that does differentiate females from males is those who train really early in the morning. Um, males, it really, like, if you train really early, you're fine training fasted. Like, it is fine. Females, absolutely not. Like, the, that's really not going to be beneficial for your hormones, right? So there's just a lot of things we have to be careful for as females. Like, don't drink caffeine before you eat. Don't train before you eat. That kind of thing. Those are like little things that we dial home with our clients a lot. But, um, you know, if you are not hungry and you're training at like 5 a.m., having half a banana or something is fine, right? But if you are training in the middle of the day and are eating like an hour before you train, you can have a pretty big meal. So... So let's unpack that a little bit. Um, why shouldn't women train fasted in the morning? Like, what, what sort of difference is there between male and female body? I mean, this is just me being curious, really. Yeah. Melissa, do you want to answer? So yeah. Know? So obviously in the mornings, our cortisol spikes to wake mm -hmm. us up. Yeah. And the, like, cortisol, it's not inherently bad. We obviously need it to survive. The problem happens when cortisol is chronically elevated. 
So one of the best ways to get it back down in the morning is to eat breakfast so your body isn't stressed. It's like, oh, food is abundant, it's here, I'm nourished. The other thing is caffeine is gonna spike it even more. So if you do the whole double whammy, let me count coffee as breakfast and go train, it's not great for your body. And over time, especially in women, this is going to affect your reproductive hormones because cortisol will pull from other hormones. And this is gonna cause imbalances in the long run that could have easily been avoided. Yeah, and the other little thing I'll add is, um, like the first hormone in females that cortisol is going to pull from is progesterone, which is what gives you a cycle and helps you ovulate. Um, so that's very important. And it also then will pull from testosterone, which makes fat loss very, very difficult. Um, you know, will give you low energy, brain fog, etc. Women need testosterone too. So it's just really important because training is a stressor on the body, not necessarily a bad stressor, but our bodies don't know the difference, right? Um, because training puts your body in a state of stress. If you're training fasted, it really is not going to be beneficial. And with women, you do notice um, a much lower ability to recover as well. And that makes sense as well when, you know, women are stressed, when they go through stress, it always, almost always affect their cycles as well. Because, you know, mm -hmm. as you said, if it affects progesterone, then it will directly affect the cycles. Yep. So that's something I'm glad you understand. It's something that can be a bit confusing, but just know that that's if you hear, you know, don't have coffee before breakfast as a female, that's why. And it's just because we're, we're way more confusing than men are. We're on a, what, 28-ish day cycle and men are on like a 24-hour cycle. So it's <laughs> different. <laughs> Yeah, and, and mind you, uh, you know, listeners as well, like, um, you know, this is definitely oversimplifying the endocrine system and the hormonal system because yeah. it's it's way more complicated than that. And, and we'll be here for the next four hours if we are lecturing on, <laughs> on you know, female hormone system versus male hormone system. Um, so, so that's good to know that, you know, women should not train faster in the morning, especially and, and add it just uh, add it with coffee as well uh, in order to prevent the spike of cortisol as you train. And obviously, as you train, you also increasing cortisol and increasing inflammatory uh, responses because of all the breakdowns of, of the glycogen of the of the muscles and you need repair. And therefore, the inflammatory uh, response is going in and, and, and elevated uh, so that the body knows you know, we are taking in all these substrates in order to repair itself. Yeah. So when it comes to training itself, is there a specific time that you uh, recommend, you know, training? This, this is a topic that has been around for forever and, and ever. And people, everyone talks about it. It's better to train in the morning, better to train in the evening. It's better to train in the middle of the day. Um, what's, what are your thoughts on, around that? So classic answer, it depends. Right? <laughs> it is going to depend on the person. And the only way you're going to figure it out is by trying different times of day. I think probably the most common, like what would be super ideal if not everyone worked a nine to five in an office every day would be training like mid-afternoon. You've got a couple meals in you. You're probably pretty awake, provided we're not having the afternoon crash. That is genuinely when I feel the best and when a lot of clients feel the best. But we know, depending on your routine, it might not be possible. So I, <laughs> I've trained more in the morning in my like training journey. And if you're training really early, like before work, it's not fun. It is not fun. But <laughs> you generally feel better afterwards. To pull then, yourself you know, out of bed in yeah. that wee hours it's it's yeah. ridiculous it's especially also because you're on a time crunch like it's not fun you're like rushing through your workout you're stressed because we got the 5 a.m crew there you can't do your supersets whatever but you know you have to do your best and then you know in the evening you can just come home and chill but i know lex you used to train later at night so i think it'd be good for you to share your experience with that yeah so what i will say in my opinion is train at a time that you can be consistent with. You know what I mean? Like I think more people than not just have a hard time getting to the gym, right? So if we're here saying you have to train at this time and it's not convenient for you, like don't do it, right? Um, I 
have trained at so many different times. And again, it just kind of goes along with what works well for me. But there was a period of time when I started my business, I would train at like 8.30 or 9 at night. Because I was like, I just want to have all my work done so I don't have to think about anything else. And I'm not stressing about anything else. And I forget where I heard or read this, but, you know, obviously that's not the ideal time to train just because that's when, and we were on the topic of cortisol, right? Your cortisol levels are supposed to be going down and your body should be starting to excrete melatonin. So... You know, if you're training that late, maybe don't have caffeine before you train because that definitely was an issue for me. I would get home and go to bed at like 1.30 a.m., you know, because um, I was just stimmed out and then I had to eat and then all of that stuff. But um, it worked really well for me and I just like to be in a routine with my training because, again, it's like this is just a part of my day. This is a part of my schedule. Um, but what I was reading was that the most ideal time to train like hormone wise and performance wise is like mid to late morning because obviously like when you wake up what wakes you up is your cortisol um and you're just gonna be more alert at that time and more um have more strength obviously what melissa is saying about having more fuel in the tank and more meals in you late afternoon is so 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 valid um But it does make sense when we're just thinking of like circadian rhythm that that would be um, like a really good time to train versus in the afternoon when we're supposed to be starting to like wind down a little bit. That's a good advice because I, similar to you, Lexi, I do train um, more in the evening, sort of between five to seven. Try to avoid the 5 p.m. crowd, but (laughs) if I... Yeah, so I'll, I'll go at 7 and then it's relatively empty. But then that also puts me all the way till 9 p.m. before I could finish, um, you know, with the cardio and stretch and all that stuff. So I think the best advice here, and this is not just with training um, that you just mentioned, Lexi, you know, what, you know, choose a routine that works for you that you can stick with that is sustainable. I think this is the same with any healthy habit that you're trying to develop um, same thing when we talk about keto diet, when we talk about different different diets. Um, yes, keto keto diet is good and it works for a lot of people in terms of weight loss, in terms of seizures and all of that. But if it is not sustainable for you, then you'll tend to overcompensate and, and bounce back and eat other stuff and excess of calories and all of that. And I think ultimately... you know you have to choose something that works for you and works for you consistently because as with anything to do with lifestyle changes and lifestyle intervention consistency is the key because you need to practice it consistently over a period of time before you can actually see the benefits yeah and what i'll add to that too is i think it's so easy especially when you've been doing this for a while and you're passionate about it or you know even if you're just like i want to be more fit to look so much at like the little details and like what time of training is going to be best and what like way of eating is going to be best. And the difference between you just like being consistent, like 90% of the time and like just fueling yourself well, getting to the gym, et cetera. And focusing on those tiny little details of like timing or specific foods or whatever it might be it's going to be so minuscule, right? So just focus on like the basics and the bare minimum of what you need to do to be consistent and see results. Um, Because I think oftentimes by overcomplicating it and like focusing so much on the details, we end up overall being way less consistent because it's just so much and like unrealistic, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we're trying to min-max everything, you know, you, you... Unless you're getting paid to do that and your everyday routine revolves around that and you don't have any other responsibilities or any other commitments, then yeah, then it's easier to do. But otherwise, it's very difficult to maintain. So that's that's great advice. So in terms of training itself, let's talk about the training itself, resistance versus endurance. Um, You know, what is, you know, pick a couple of myths or even a myth in fitness industry that women should not believe, should stay away from, um, that you guys have, have come across? Okay. I think the biggest one is just that, like, lifting heavy or lifting in general is going to make you bulky. And just 
as females, we don't have the hormonal breakdown to be able to get bulky. You know, most of the women that you see that are quote unquote bulky are either um, taking things that give them the hormones to be able to get bulky. And that is very much their intention, or they're really just holding some excess body fat. You know what I mean? But I think so many women avoid weight training or resistance training when that's really what they need to do to have the look that like lean toned look that they want because they're so scared of getting bulky. And I mean, I have been trying to get bulky for like a decade now. And I'm like very, very far from that as females. It is so hard to get to that point. Um, so I think that is just the biggest one. I feel like you agree, Melissa, but do you want to pick one too? Yeah, I mean, that was the one I was going to say. So we'll just do the other one that goes hand in hand with it. And that's where women think that doing just cardio will give them the look that they want because Yes, cardio burns body fat, but if you are not implementing resistance training with your cardio plan, you are just going to become a smaller version of the body you have now. And that's what people typically end up calling skinny fat. It's not my favorite term, but that's what people call it. And like Lexi said, you do need to incorporate resistance training to give you the toned look, right? You want to have some kind of muscle base. Again, it doesn't have to be anything crazy. You don't have to get jacked, be a bodybuilder but you want some kind of muscle base to give you the shape and that muscle tone, as it's called, when you do lose the body fat. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point to make. I think most women who come to us are like, I want to tone up, and what that really means is I want to have a nice base of muscle, and I want to be lean enough for that muscle to show. That's what that is. And I think it's just a big marketing tactic for, um, a lot of workout classes or programs or things like that to be like, build lean muscle or like do this workout to tone up. Like that is bullshit. That (laughs) it's just not a thing. What being toned is, is just, again, having a nice base of muscle and being lean enough for that muscle to show. And I think I think that's that's the problem with um, a lot of consumers, me included. You know, when I, you know, first started training and going to a, a um, personal trainer, then the first question they ask, like, "What's your goal, right? What what do you want to achieve?" The problem is that because we are so brainwashed with all these ads and all this social media, and we're like, "Oh, we want a toned body, we want a lean body," like we don't know exactly what the concept is and then you know you get like the other school of thought around bulking season versus cutting season and and you know you can't build muscle without putting on fat and then similarly you can't lose fat and build muscle at the same time so that that sort of sort of um school of thought as well and and a very interesting you know very both very interesting points that you guys pointed out i've got male friends who are you know ectomorphs and and they try really really hard to get bulky and they force feed themselves six times a day and they're like you know all these people are scared of getting bulky they're like if only it was that easy uh, basically what they said and then the second point with cardio is the same like if you want to lose weight like we have to really remember that our bodies burn energy, use up the storage, use up substrates throughout the day. Exercise is a very small portion of the day. Even yeah. if you do two hours of cardio per day, um, that is only two hours out of 24 hours. So the rest of the energy expenditure would come from basal metabolic rate. Uh, a big one is the non-exercise, non-exercise energy uh, thermogenesis. Um, you know, just you being active in general and what will help the basal metabolic rate would be adding on uh, lean muscle mass. That in, in and of itself will help you burn fat because it does require a lot of energy just to maintain it. So when you just do cardio all day, every day, what it does metabolically, it also, um, yes, it's supposed to burn fat, but it in order to burn the fat, you have to mobilize the fat from your fat storage, which is mainly adipose tissue. So when you mobilize the fat, you have a lot of non-esterified fatty acids running around in the body. And while you're working out, yes, it's burning. But when you stop working out and you're at rest, it still increases the lipids in your body. And if you're not fueling it correctly and you don't have muscle um, mass, 
that's where the, 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 the skinny fat sort of comes from. So that, from a metabolic uh, point of view, uh, makes total sense. Um, and what you want is to balance out uh, resistance training with the endurance training. Yep. You explained that so, so, so well. And obviously, every kind of exercise has its benefits, right? Like your heart is the most important muscle in your body. So make sure you're doing some cardio, getting your heart rate up, whatever, and moving your body in that way. But so like resistance training has neurological benefits, obviously um, helps with preventing like osteoporosis as you get older. Um, So I think the main point is women don't be afraid to lift weights, move your body in different ways. Um, But you explained a pretty complex concept very, very simply. I was like, I need to steal that one. That was good. Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of these concepts, like when you start telling it to people, they're like, oh, okay, it makes sense now. You know, I think, I think for us scientists, um, that's the goal, right? Because it's, it's ironic because as we move from undergrad to master's to PhD, we learn more and more complicated concepts and learn to uh, explain them in a very complicated way in the in the jargons that we learned and then past that now we are like regressing and try to relearn these concepts but being able to explain it in the simplest way possible because otherwise nobody will be able to understand them and apply them in their in their real lives and ultimately if we scientists can't explain what we do in a simple way so that people can apply why are we doing it you know, just to satisfy yeah. our curiosity. Um, surely there's more, there's a bigger purpose than that, right? So, well, and I think I, a lot of podcast people, a lot of podcasters that like, do it quite well, like Andrew Huberman and, and Rhonda yeah. Patrick, you know, they, they really explain all these science uh, concepts and break down uh, in a very nice and simple manner. Yeah, they do. But and anyway, and, and, by speaking, and by speaking to you guys as well, I mean, that's where science and application um, meets and and where I can actually pick your brains is like okay can I verify this I I know this this what's happening metabolically can you please verify if you put your clients through this training does it actually happen you know so yeah so I, I, now that I, I thought about it I've got one more question around training so you know when a client comes up to you and say I want a more toned body and what sort of timeline am I expecting like generally. I think there's a lot of warped sense of expectation in timeline that, that, that people um, have these days, especially with social media, because everyone thinks that, oh, you know, they, they got that in like two, two weeks. You know, what sort, of, what sort of realistic time expectation would you guys normally give to your clients? So it's funny you bring this up because I posted something yesterday about a client I had that she lost almost 10 pounds in about three months. And I think a lot of people, based on the ads they consume, would dismiss that as like, that ain't nothing. Like, I want to lose 10 pounds in a month, you know? And first of all, a sustainable rate of fat loss for women is, one, going to depend on how much excess body fat you have. Obviously, someone who is very overweight, they are going to be able to lose more body fat per week, per month. But if you are someone who is not necessarily overweight and you're looking to just tone up and change your body in that way, you aren't going to lose as much or see the scale change as much uh, week to week. But typically, this is just a general rule of thumb, a sustainable rate of fat loss for women is going to be half a pound to a pound per week. However, that is once you are in the fat loss phase. And most women who come to us are severely under eating, overtraining, doing a lot of cardio, and before we can even start a fat loss phase, we have to make sure that we reverse diet them and get their metabolism back up to a happy, healthy, and safe spot in order to start the deficit. So depending on how severely they're under eating and how long they've been chronically dieting, a reverse diet, I would say, could take anywhere from like two to six months. Then you can look at your deficit. Okay, how much weight are you looking to lose, right? If it's five to 10 pounds, then okay, maybe it's like being conservative, like six to 10 weeks, right? Just push it out. And it depends how aggressive you are with the deficit. But I really like to keep it realistic with that sustainable rate of fat loss. Lexi, anything to add there? I think she explained it 
very, very well. I think that most, the most overlooked aspect of all of this that we see is women being like, okay, I want to tone up. Like, let's just lose fat. And, um, you know, if you are maintaining your weight on like 1400 calories for a lot of women, it's even less than that, but we could say 14, 15, 1600 calories. Um, you know, you are going to a hit a stall very, very quickly. Um, or B, be like starving yourself and not see results because metabolically all humans, women and men, um, we are very, very adaptive. Right. And I think a lot of women just think like, I have a very slow metabolism. Like I just have to eat less and I'll lose weight. And then they're eating less and they're still not losing weight sometimes. Um, so we really want to, find a woman's true maintenance before we enter that fat loss phase. And for most women, they're mind blown at how much they can eat. Like when, when I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like five, five, like 130, 135 pounds. And I eat like 2,400 calories a day. They're like, what? You know? And I'm like, it literally is nothing. And that would have been crazy to me. Um, but you really want to just find that true maintenance point And it really then when you lose fat, it's just going to depend on like, okay, how much fat do you have to lose? Also, like, what does your life look like? We don't want to be doing like, again, taking any approaches that aren't going to be maintainable. And that's the issue kind of like you said with a lot of the fat diets and stuff out there. It's like, okay, you do the diet, you lose the weight, and then you have to do said diet again or find another diet. And like, if you have to keep dieting, that is the only sign you need that the diet doesn't freaking work, right? So... Um, that's the other thing is it's just going to depend on your life. And I always tell people, I'm like, you know, even if it takes us a year to get the look that you want a year in the grand scheme of the rest of your life is nothing. So wouldn't you rather not have to like do all of this again and just like build a lifestyle that you love and have these healthy habits and spend a little bit of time in a deficit that doesn't feel like you're starving in it. Right. Um, and just be able to like live that way for the rest of your life, you know? So anyways, it's a lot of like blabbing and not a lot of science, but I think that that's kind of just another way to look at it. Yeah. And, and you guys mentioned that clients most often than not would turn up um, to you guys, uh, would turn up, you know, to the session, the first session, knowing that they already have some form of dysfunction in terms of their lifestyle, either they're overeating severely or they're undereating severely. What do you guys do to address the mental side of things? You know, obviously that I think mental resilience and mental strength in that aspect is, is more than important and how they see their relationship with food and the relationship with exercise is also very important. So what do you guys do to address that? Yeah, so I, the biggest thing is, and this is not what people want to hear, but it's just, we call it exposure therapy, right? So, you know, if you, if it's someone who's under eating and maybe you have this idea that certain foods are really, really bad, tackling them slowly, like one by one, providing a lot of support, you know, if they're scared of eating out because they think that'll make them gain weight for clients who maybe struggle with overeating or binging, um, you know, slowly introducing the foods that maybe they binge on back into their life. Our clients all have like 24 seven access to us because such a large component of all this is mental, right? Like you can have the nutrition program, you can have the training program. Um, but we do a lot of mindset work with clients. So them having contact with us to like troubleshoot in search certain situations, um, or whatever is a huge, huge piece of what we do. Um, but I think a lot of it just comes down to breaking things down into bite-sized chunks and practicing, right? We always say, like, you cannot mess this up. Like, you can't mess your progress up. You can't mess your fitness journey up. Every, like, quote-unquote mistake or slip-up is literally just an opportunity to learn. Mm. Um, so I think that that's just a really important way to look at it because, you know, when we think black and white like that or, like, I overate or whatever. I didn't make it to the gym. Most people fall into that black or white mentality of like, okay, screw it. Like, and you know, if you're overeating and not going to the gym for 
a week that's going to, that can impact you, right? If you literally miss a workout or overeat one meal, that is going to make no freaking difference in the grand scheme of your results. I think also just the accountability, like when you have, like our coaches, ourselves included, find the balance between like the softer side, like, hey, validating their feelings. I know this is scary. However, on the other hand, like sometimes there's some tough love conversations and they are almost always well received because we create that safe space with our clients and also bring in like these, the science side of things, explain like, hey, <laughs> looking at the way that your body works, because everybody wants to think they're the unicorn, they're the exception. My body's different. If I eat a donut, it's going to stick on me forever. Like really, really explaining that and then just holding them accountable. And I would say at least 95% of our clients of all time, they follow through with it they get the exposure therapy, and then they pick up traction. Like, I'm sure we both have clients in our mind where it's like, oh, yeah, they just, like, zipped through their fear food list in a couple of months, and that's really what it takes is having that support and accountability. Yeah. I think we all build up so much evidence. It's confirmation bias, right, that whatever beliefs we have about ourselves, whether it's, like, I overeat, I can't control myself around sweets, I just can't be consistent with my routine, we will focus so, so, so much on that evidence and then we end up kind of like manifesting the same result over and over again rather than taking a step back like having the accountability breaking things down into bite-sized chunks you know if someone hasn't been able to be consistent with the gym in years start with like two days a week at home you know what i mean um but you build up that evidence that hey i can stick to a routine or hey i can go out to eat and not um leave feel like needing to unbutton my pants every time like i can eat this and not blow up, you know? And as you have more and more evidence, you start to create this new belief system, right? And like, that's a really cool thing about our brains. But um, a lot of it is just breaking it down, like Melissa said, super, super simply and finding that balance of like tough love and like, you gotta do it. Um, and also empathy um, so that they can create the evidence for themselves. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is, you know, stop, the negative self-fulfilling prophecy of what you put yourself uh, of, of the box that you put yourself in uh, accountability as well as you know every time you make a mistake or you slip up do not see it as you're falling off you know the wagon uh, instead you know take it as a learning experience on how can you make it better the next day the next week and make it more consistent so that's what i'm hearing you heard that right <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I know in um, Alignment Athletics, you guys also have got a lot of experts in gut health. So gut health is something that I wasn't really an expert in. And, and I just recently uh, read more about. Um, and, and as I talked to a lot of um, other friends who are in gut health and probiotics, prebiotics and all of that. So tell us more on how gut health play a role in your training, um, your clients, as well as what sort of best advice you can give to our listeners um, who wants to either improve gut health or maintain a, a healthy gut health? Yeah, so if your gut health is off and a lot of women struggle with like just not feeling good, whether you are bloated, you are irregular, you're having pain, gas, cramps, all these things, that is not normal. And unfortunately, it has been normalized. I normalized it for like 20 plus years of my life. And let me tell you guys, you're not stuck there. You can get to a place where you feel good and your digestion can be very regular. Obviously, when you don't feel good, you're not going to feel like going to the gym. You're not going to feel like getting in the nutrients that you need to or even, you know, nourishing relationships. Like, it affects your quality of life. And I think the biggest thing that I'm sure we both want to emphasize is that a lot of gut health issues can be solved with lifestyle habits. You do not need to immediately pay hundreds of dollars in testing or hundreds of dollars in supplements, really take a look at your lifestyle and the two biggest factors are going to be your stress levels and your quality of sleep. Because if you think about it, if you are stressed all the time and or you are not getting great quality sleep, your body is going to be living in fight or flight mode. So it's just focused on the systems that are necessary for survival. And <laughs> within that state, Digestion typically goes out the window because it's not really necessary for you to fight or 
run, right? And if you think about it, like think about before you ever run a race or you like give a presentation, I bet you got a stomachache, right? I bet you got pretty nervous. That is a prime example. So again, tying it back to what do your stress levels look like? How do you manage it? Do you even manage it, right? And then same with sleep. Those are two things that we really focus on. Yeah, and then a couple other others that I would add in if ladies struggle with bloating, which again, there are a lot of other signs of poor gut health, but I think typically um, those people listening who are like, I struggle with gut health issues probably are experiencing the bloating and stuff like that. So the first, and this is something I didn't realize after following a meal plan for years and years and years, it was really hard for me to eat anything else. And having a diverse diet is so, so, so important. A lot of times um, we start to experience gut or digestive issues because our um, gut is just so not diverse in terms of types and quantities of um, important bacteria in our gut. So that is another thing. We had a really good podcast episode with um, a dietitian who specializes in gut health. And that was like one of the biggest tips she gave. She was like, make your plate the rainbow. Or if you eat the same thing every day and are experiencing digestive issues, just like switch everything out. Like switch out your chicken for beef or your broccoli for asparagus or whatever. Um, the other thing is just like your overall fiber intake. So we have some women who are eating way too much fiber and they're like, why am I bloated all the time? Um, and that obviously is just going to uh, bulk up your stool, make it very hard for it to move through your body. But also if you're not getting enough fiber, that can cause a plethora of issues as well. Um, and then just being conscientious, I think, of how we eat our meals. A lot of people are like, I have all these bloating issues. And I'm like, it's because you're A, not chewing your food. The digestive process starts in your mouth. You're eating in a stressed environment while you're running out the door. Um, and we know that when your body's in that fight or flight mode, like Melissa said, blood is going to like your limbs and not your stomach, right? You want to be in that like rest or digest state. So for me, one of the biggest things I noticed that helped with um, my digestion, not necessarily overall gut health, is because the two obviously are different, but was not um, eating when I was super, super stressed, not eating standing out and not eating standing up and um, like taking some deep breaths before I ate or like put down your fork in between bites. Um, but those are the biggest things and there's so much that impacts gut health, but I think most people are kind of thinking of like the bloating and the symptoms and stuff that they get from it. Yeah. And, and, and a good thing is Melissa, you know, from the beginning you talked about, um, you know, that you don't need, um, all these fancy tests and all that, because, you know, that was what I was going to ask, you know, do you guys send, um, your clients to do a certain test to make sure that their gut health is healthy or uh, test their bio di biodiversity of um, the bacteria and the guts and all that. Um, but, you know, a lot of people don't realize our bodies itself is a great biological test um, of the manifestation of what's inside of our metabolic health, our skin, our, you know, subjective feel, the bloated, bloatedness, um, and and uh, just in general the mood as well it's a great predictor and indicator of how our metabolic health is yeah and obviously like some people do need need testing but i think in today's world we're just so prone to being like okay like what's going to be the quick fix like what's you know what i mean and your gut like the breakdown of all the bacteria in your gut and what's going on is literally always changing so you know, you have the ability to change that so much just through your diet and your habits and things like that. But like, obviously some people do need testing, right? And there are some cases where people have like SIBO or candida or leaky gut or whatever. And we do have professionals on the team who are like certified and, you know, read GI maps, which is what I would always recommend. I think I've taken like from promos for like Instagram back in the day, like blood tests and stuff like that. Like those are not going to, just without going into the science of it, they're not gonna tell you what's wrong with your gut. Um, so GI maps are great, they're expensive. But um, if 
you've tackled all of the lifestyle habits and are still having issues, that would kind of be the next step. Got it. As we're coming to sort of the end of the podcast, unfortunately, um, I want to ask one last question uh, for both of you um, that I usually ask my guests nowadays is that what does health and modern nutrition uh, mean to you? Alexi first. Okay, I got it. I think it just goes back to what I said at the beginning of this podcast. I think health and nutrition, it really is all about enhancing our lives, allowing us to live our longest lives and our best lives um, and lives that we, again, just like feel our best, best in. I know for so long, I thought that, you know, health and the way I feel my body is all about looking a certain way. And while, yes, that is great. And I want everyone to be in a body that they feel at home in. And I want to feel good in my body. I really think that all of it just comes down to allowing us to live our best, most fulfilling lives. Because without our health and proper nutrition, and we so often forget this because we get so focused in on just like the moment, right? But it really all does come down to that, just allowing us to live our best and longest lives. Melissa. Okay. I totally agree with Lexi. Health is everything. If you don't have your health, you don't have anything else, right? To me, health via modern nutrition basically explains how nutrition impacts your health so much. It's not health via medicine or health via supplements. Nutrition, food, is medicine. It is sustainability. It is fuel. And it is going to help you, as I'm sure you have listened to many episodes on this podcast, it's going to help you be healthy and also prevent, you know, all the things we're trying to avoid, chronic diseases, sickness, things like that. And I love, love, love seeing people wake up to this because like we talked about earlier, people in today's world are very attached to a quick fix. Like, oh, I eat like crap all the time, but surely if I do my cardio every day, then that'll cancel it out. And that's just not how it works. So love HVMN. <laughs> Thank you so much to both of you. Uh, Lexi and Melissa has been such a pleasant um, conversation. It was so easy. It was very informative and um, can't wait to meet you guys in person really and train. Yeah. Yeah. It needs to happen soon. That would be a blast. We should. Train. I'm going to going to be in Austin. I think in January for a um, triathlon event that we're going to have a booth in. So I'll let you know. Let me know. I'm like right downtown, and Melissa, yeah. you can just come visit. Yeah. Yeah, that would okay. be great. Yeah. Um, well, um, thank you again for being on HVMM podcast, um, and I will let you know um, when this episode is out, and um, it'll be a blast. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much for having us. <laughs> Thank you. If you have enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. And we welcome any comments or feedback in either the comment section or you can fill up the Google form provided in description. You can find us at HVMN or at Latmanso for myself on all social media platforms. Both HVMN Podcast and myself are powered by Ketone IQ, the most efficient way to elevate your blood ketone levels for optimal cognitive and physical performance as well as metabolic health. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.